have a sad day in Cardinal Nation because Bruce Souter passed Carl. And we also have a sad day in the Harry Potter world because Robbie Coltrane passed. I heard that from Max on movies while I was driving and listening to KTRS. We'll talk to our guest Paul Hibbert and his Hysteria Fest coming up next. Then around minute 27, he'll join us to talk about Halloween ends in theaters and on Peacock. And then Lynn will talk around minute 40 about Rosalind. Around minute 47, I Love You, You Hate Me, the Barney documentary. Around minute 49, Town. And then around minute 56, the theater roundup. Around minute 58, we'll talk about Angela Lansbury. And then around one hour and three minutes, Lynn talks about The Good Nurse. It's a very Halloween show. So when did Robbie die? I don't know. I just read the report today. He died at the age of 72. And and besides the fact that he was Hagrid in all of the Harry Potter films, he was a comedian and he was very funny. I think a comedian in the role of Hagrid is a very good casting that they did. I liked him as Hagrid. He wasn't always just that big, lovable oaf that we love as Hagrid. He also starred television series Cracker, which we all got to watch here on PBS. So that's probably what he's most famous for before Harry Potter. But uh, he was in a couple James Bond films. Bruce Souter was only 69. Wow. That is not very old. old. And he has been such a great cardinal because, you know, he started with our hated enemies the cubs and he has been at always wearing the red jacket being at most of the events oh he was in uh from hell what else was he he mostly all the king oh he was in a kate bush music video oh <laughs> well yeah because he's british kate he bush in- deeper understanding 2011 oh he was in uh, van helsing as mr hyde as in Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, and he was in Ocean's 12. But you know what else? You know, uh, the thing about Bruce Souter was he was the first person inducted into Cooperstown who never started a game. He was one of, at the time, four relief pitchers who got in, but he was the first one that never started because some of them started as starting pitchers and then become relief pitchers. But he never started a game and The weird thing, his number is 42, and all of baseball has retired 42 because of Jackie Robinson. So the Cardinals have retired two numbers, or two players with 42, Bruce Sutter and Jackie Robinson. So his number will never be uh, used in any baseball team ever again because of Jackie Robinson, not because of Bruce Sutter. Yeah, well, we have uh, lots of things to talk about today in movies and in in uh, theater but we have a local guest and i'm thrilled to present paul hibbert he is a filmmaker in town and he has started the hysteria film fest at one of our favorite places the arkadin carl so we got to hear about that well yes hi paul hey how are you guys doing good we're so glad you could make it thank you so much and i hear the tickets are selling so well that yeah, the tickets are, are completely sold out. They're completely gone, which which I messaged Lynn a few weeks ago. And I was just like, should I still be on here? Because there's like no tickets available for this fest. But, you know, I, I kind of like the idea of just having this festival be a mainstay in St. Louis. So I thought it would be cool to come on and still talk about it. But yes, tickets are completely sold out. They sold out about a week after we put them on, on sale. 
Well, good. Well, what is your festival? What is Hysteria Film Fest? So it is a festival that that came out of nowhere. I, I was not four months ago. I had no plans of running a, a film festival, um, but I made a movie last year, a horror film last year called Some Visitors. That was a film that um, it was kind of um, a contentious shoot um, it, because there were some of the things that happened in the film. It gets pretty violent towards the end. We were having some trouble getting um, crew to uh, agree to do the film. And there seemed to be this divide with a lot of crew in St. Louis that they're not horror filmmakers and I should get horror filmmakers to do a film that kind of goes to the extremes that this one goes to. So I kind of had it in my mind that when this plays locally, I need to like kind of curate where it's going to play. I got to figure out where it's going to play. I I, I was a little uh, intimidated just to throw it out into a general film festival. And I really wanted it to play at a horror film festival. But as far as I knew, there was no horror film festivals in St. Louis. Now, there is one out in Maryland Heights uh, I heard about named uh, uh, Haunted Garage, but I didn't know about them at the time. Right. So, yeah, at that time, I was like, I'm not sure where to play this. So I did a fundraiser in the spring for this uh, local uh, animal charity called Tenth Life. I did that at Arkadin. And while we were there, the next evening, my film premiered at Panic Fest, which is a pretty big uh, horror festival in Kansas City. And they had seen uh, my post about it. And the uh, uh, couple who runs Arkadin, they asked me if I wanted to play it at their venue. And I said, I would love to, but it's only 27 minutes long. So I got to make an evening out of this. So I went to Kansas City the next day to Panic Fest, watched the movies. There were some shorts I absolutely loved. And I just very informally went on Twitter, messaged the director. So I was like, I love your short. Can I play it in front of my short in St. Louis? And this wasn't a festival yet. There's no name for it or anything. And they said yes. And then I was on the jury with you, Lynn, uh, for the St. Louis showcase this year. And there were several shorts that I loved. And when it came to the night of the awards, my rule was if Sliff picks them, I'm, I'm not going to you know touch them because I didn't want to step on Sliff's uh, toes. But if they don't pick them, I'm going to ask them to play also. And there was three shorts I really wanted and Sliff didn't pick any of them. And I was like, so I was one of the filmmakers. And I was like, can I have it? And they're like, sure. <laughs> but eventually it came together. And then it turned into one evening of shorts that had so much um, response to it that we were like, well, let's just make a second evening. And then at this point, we're like, look, we have a festival now and let's come up with a name. So the name Hysteria Fest was like the last thing we put on the, the, the festival. And now we're at this point where it's like, well, this happened. It sold out so quickly that we should possibly do it again next year. And so it literally the whole thing just grew based on me trying to find movies to play along with mine. <laughs> Well, that is great. I remember uh, there were quite a few horror films that we watched this year. In fact, so much, I think they should make it a separate category because it was lumped in with all of the other ones that we had, wasn't it? And mm -hmm. we should we should talk to Cinema St. Louis about that because yeah. I think they are getting more entries, don't you think? I, I think so, too, and especially because um, horror has become more of a prestigious genre and it's not really a genre that can be looked down on. Not yet people like Jordan Peele being nominated for Best Picture and you have Ari Oster making his movies and these movies are just as smart as anything that's nominated for Best Picture at the awards so I, I feel like it, it is a genre that should be given more reverence and um, I mean hopefully this festival does but yeah it would be cool Cinema St. Louis did that as well yeah uh, what so what are the ones that you are showing tell us about them 
So I have a mix of um, ones uh, that were not shot in St. Louis and that were shot in St. Louis. Uh, the first one that's starting off is a movie called Guts. It's a it's as grotesque as it sounds, but it's also <laughs> very comical in it. It's very it reminds me of uh, early like Peter Jackson and some of his work. Uh, that one was made down uh, by this guy named Chris in Austin, Texas. That film has gone to every single festival, every horror festival, festivals I couldn't even get into, like the, the big ones, Fright Fest, Fantastic Fest, every market festival this has gotten into. And I was so happy that he said yes to me playing it. So I, I'm like, I'm starting my whole festival with you. Um, <laughs> and then after that, um, we're playing a, um, a couple of the local ones that you watched, uh, Members Mark, if you, if you remember that one, Lynn, I really loved that one. I remember the night of the ceremony, I, I was gushing to you how much I loved it, but I also was like kind of trying to keep it down because I didn't want... <laughs> I didn't want them to pick it for slip. So I was, <laughs> I was like, I love this, but I mean, you know, maybe it's just my thing. Um, we have a booty call. You remember that one? Oh from- yeah. That guy had the best entourage of anybody at the, at the rap party. Carl, you would yes. have thought you were at a party in LA with supermodels. Oh, good. I love that. Yes. He, um, uh, he he. They're like a, a group of like models turned filmmakers, and the, the director, uh, he's the main actor, and he's he's there too. And they're all going to come to Hesaria Fest just as dressed up, and he's going to make the rest of us who look like schlubs <laughs> feel. I, 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 like I want to say to him, I'm like, you're too good looking to be a filmmaker. Why are you a filmmaker? Yeah, well, you're they're sp- apparently working on another one, but I thought theirs was so slick and interesting. And yeah, the plot was Carla was the organ uh you know rip off your you know drug a date and get their kidney oh that one you know, that urban you know, the, yes <laughs> you wake up in a bathtub full of ice mm-hmm. yes only uh this was modern with the with the dating apps and um yeah but it was really slickly done and i don't even know it was shot in st louis and i don't even know where it was but it was really swanky yeah, he, he told me some of the locations. It, it's all downtown around, around like the Wash uh, Wash Ave area, and it's uh, it, it looks nice. And and that the location they got for his apartment is incredible. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, we got uh, self exposure. You remember that one that was directed by Randy Shin? Oh the- yeah, the door. Y'all love the door. Well, I know Randy from he he went to a, a SWIC film program with my son Tim, and Randy's <laughs> Randy's does really good documentaries, and once in a while he does a really strange movie. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is it, and and uh, this this one's excellent. Um, we got. I had to go back a few years, but I grabbed one that I love from 2020. I was on the um, showcase jury that year too, and that was the COVID year. So this film had only played um, uh, digitally; it, it, it hadn't played uh, on a big screen or virtually, I should say. It, it only played virtually through uh, Sliff and through the showcase, so it hadn't played on the big screen. And it's uh, Andy Compton's first film, which is called Tin Box. Oh it, yeah, it yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really, I really love that movie, and and I was on the jury that year, and I was I I, I was like I I don't feel like people are, hundred percent connecting to what he was doing because he was making all kinds of commentary in that film about the pharmaceutical industry, and it, it was all it happened very quickly, but at the end, but the last like five minutes of that film really just ties everything together nicely. So I'm really glad because he's got uh, Ethan Edna, which is um, his second film, which is playing at Sliff this year. Oh, I love that movie. 
And mm-hmm. uh, one of the the people involved with that movie gave me a little talking to after the awards. <laughs> but yeah. but they yeah. did. But the director, I got to meet him and I got to meet the guy that played Ethan, who mm-hmm. is a hoot. And they were all just they were so thrilled to be in the mix and they got picked for slip. So, well, the, the lead who plays Ethan, he's the lead in Tin Box, too. So it's cool because uh, Ethan Enna is that sort of um, it's, it's more of a, a comedy drama. Well, Tin Box is more of a horror thriller. So so if you want to see what Andy can do as a filmmaker, go to Hysteria Fest if you have tickets because we're sold out. But if you have tickets, go to Hysteria Fest and then go to Slip afterwards. You can see his two uh, the two films that he has done. Um, we have well, if, if you're if you're lucky enough to have tickets, you can find out like the schedule in ArkadenCinema.com. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know what's going because it's October 20th and 22nd. So Thursday and Saturday. Yeah. So in, in between that is uh, Destroy the Brain. Um, they, they're a local horror troupe and they are doing a trivia night at uh, Heavy Anchor. So they're kind of tangentially sort of connected to us. So all three nights, there are horror events at Arkadin and Heavy Anchor. Movies, trivia and movies, the 20th through the 22nd. Well, that's nice. great. Well, well, people uh, should uh, express that they want to see these movies. Yeah, maybe. maybe you undersold it. They were only ten dollars a piece, and it sold out. So maybe next year go to fifteen. I think we should, especially because most of the other festivals we got into is uh, fifteen. Sometimes I have I have like too much like modesty putting it together, and I'm like, why would somebody pay ten or fifteen dollars for this when they pay fifteen dollars the ones at Panic Fest? But it well, sold out so fast, and I was like, maybe we should charge fifteen. But you know, horror is an underserved, and 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 I don't understand why it is an underserved because. January used to be a dead space for films. That's where all the things that thought were going to be prestige films come out. And then horror took that over. Normally, you know, we'll talk later about Halloween ends. But, you know, around Halloween is when horror usually comes out. But January and early February, horror in the mainstream has just taken over. And it is a moneymaker for the big film studios. Uh, it's, It's underserved. And I don't know why, because they keep learning again and again that people want to see good horror films. Yeah. And I think a lot of that had to do with Get Out coming out in February and that sort of, uh, you know. Our happy to... death day to you. Mm-hmm. That, that was February too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horror that comes out in the dead of winter is sometimes my favorite. Cause... Well, yeah, that's it. It's there's you You don't expect anything and you go and then you see a good movie mm-hmm. in January, February and you're surprised, I'm like, oh wow, something good has come out in mm-hmm. the dead of winter. Nothing's growing except your expectations. Yeah, and it's gotten so big that even Scream, which was the most one of the most anticipated films of this year, picked the January date. So it's to the right. point where, where studios who have the pick of the litter are picking January. So now we just need a horror festival in January. I know. Hey. I think you could you could do a repeat. Uh, possibly if Arkin is interested in that, because they'll be opening up their indoor um, theater. In oh, good, good, good. Because uh, as we should say, if you have tickets to this, everything at the Arkin is outdoors because they like showing the movies out there in that space that they have. Yeah. And then, and then you go to uh, Heavy Anchor to get your beverages. Mm-hmm. And watching movies in October at Arkadin outside is incredible. It has that autumn feel to it, and it, it it's unparalleled, I think, when it comes to watching films around here. They have a every fourth Wednesday of the month, they have the Nicolas Cage drink 
uh, thing. They have a Nicolas Cage movie, and it's a drink. What is it called? Drinkle. Drinkless Cage. And you don't know what film it's going to. You don't find out what film it's going to be until the first couple seconds of the film. Hmm. Drinkless Cage every Wednesday at the Arc. I love yeah. that. Yeah, no, it's a great place, and it was just voted best theater in St. Louis by the RFT. So it's yeah, yeah. Well, I like people that are doing different. We had them on the show during the COVID time, didn't we, Carl? We did. Yeah, and it was it, and I'm glad that they are succeeding. They they opened up as if you will talk to them, and I know you have. They opened up at the worst time ever to open up a movie theater, but and Mm -hmm. I'm glad they're they're finally succeeding because it is. It is a fun experience, and it's not just an experience. It is a whole immersion into <laughs> movies and drinking and fun. Yeah, and, it, and people who love movies and know movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's filled with like this sort of passion, which I'm so glad I'm, I'm teaming up with them because you know there's quite a few festivals around um, the country and around St. Louis at this point too. And what I hope that Hysteria stands out for is is, is the passion of the curation that I bring, but also the setting brings. And I, I just want this like, I almost want a festival to almost feel like what it feels like when you go to Arkin and you're just around film passion there. Are you going to have uh, filmmakers there? Are they coming? The filmmakers are there. Most of them are coming both nights. Uh, some of them are only coming uh, one of the two nights. When it comes to in-town people the out-of-town people are not coming in because we have films that were made in texas we have one that was made in connecticut uh we, we have uh films that were made there's one made in los angeles um so yeah we, we got films from all around so they've been really responsive uh you know doing reviews and interviews and stuff like that but uh they're not coming in for this which i don't play. i don't travel for a short either what was the one movie about the guy that hits a body what was that in, in his car? Oh, yeah, it was really creepy, but it was wasn't that a, really human. It was, oh, was that the showcase? Yeah, which one was that? What was the name the, of that one? I, I know what you're talking about. I do not remember what it was called. That one, I did appreciate it, but I didn't touch it because Slith picked it. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Oh, that that creeped me out so much because it was like it, I like when a horror movie takes you to a place where you believe it. Mm-hmm. And it could happen to you, like you put yourself in, you know. Unlike like, Nope. Yes. <laughs> what did you think of Nope, Paul? I loved it. Are you guys not fans? Um, no. Technically, <laughs> technically, I have it on my list for technical. The cinematography, the visual effects, the music. Not the story <laughs> nor the acting. No, but it is. It's a beautiful film to watch, and it makes California out there look fantastic it's just that i didn't i didn't buy the whole can we can we say alien or can we not say it? oh we're gonna say alien because i don't you know watch it on a big screen at home well what really creeped me out was the whole beginning at the the child star trauma yeah. that, that had nothing to do with the rest of the movie right they didn't really go in, into that was a just an unsatisfying subplot what I I think what I you and Paul you don't have to defend the movie. That, that's <laughs> like we didn't we didn't need to put you on the spot. Yeah. If, if you enjoyed it, you enjoyed it. That's that's the thing. If you enjoyed it, it were it did its job for you. No, yeah, I, I mean, I I think 
just the only thing I liked about that part was I, the thing that I connected the most with Nova was the kind of spectatorship behind it all. Because that's what, I mean, I don't know if you want to avoid this with spoilers when you were saying, but how the ship was actually an alien itself, the ship was actually an, an organism itself, which I, right. I don't think, I don't think knowing that's a, a huge spoiler. It, it doesn't no. really change too much of the trajectory of the story. But, but that was to me, at least how it connected that subplot of looking directly at the, um, creature to looking at the aliens and how humans cannot not stare at things like right. we drive by car accidents we have to stare we everything we have to stare at and i that that was to me at least I, it's a little bit of like a thematic you have to connect it um but, but that was what i like about it i just but wish I jordan would be funnier because it, with Get Out and even with us, there were moments of levity. And I think I think Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer were just mean to each other. There wasn't there wasn't a whole bunch of uh, love. You, they have a great brother and sister relationship. But yeah. I, I wanted I wanted a little more humor because Jordan is really good at mixing that stuff together. Yeah, and yeah. yeah Kaluuya is a low talker. It's hard to. <laughs> Hard to understand low talkers. I'm sorry. Though. Well, Paul, go he's ahead. Really he's really subdued and um, nope. Yeah. He, he, he's not the one that does all the talking. All right. So if you go to arcadencinema.com slash events, you can find out all about Hysteria Fest. I mm -hmm. want you guys to do the. I want you guys to keep doing this so we can have more than one horror festival in St. Louis because this is this is fun, especially around this time of year. Paul Hibbard, thank you for being on with us today. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me, both of you. Yeah. Anything you want to recommend that you've seen lately? Um, I have not. Uh, um, I saw a movie recently on Shudder. It is very brutal. It's very bleak, but it's called uh, Speak No Evil. Have you all heard about this one? Yes. Max, our buddy Max saw it. It is a movie that my review on Letterboxd was this movie makes me want to die and I gave it four <laughs> out of five. <laughs> so, so it is, it is a harsh movie. It's the vein of like Michael Haneke. If you've ever seen his brutal stuff, it is that kind of movie that makes you feel, but how you feel you might not vibe with. So just be prepared for it. It's, oh. it's, it's Danish. So uh, just be, be prepared. The Danes are really, really uh, harsh yeah. with emotions. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Something about Scandinavia. It's just really brutal. Because there was another movie called The Innocent from earlier this year that I love too from Sweden. And this is something something about being up there just makes you make these really brutal, bleak movies. Well, that's what I noticed when I first started watching The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the original versions, mm -hmm. the, the three movies. The TV, they were TV, TV movies yeah. over there. Well, oh my God. I thought this is a beautiful country. And it's so sinister, mm -hmm. you know, the land of the midnight sun. And they're also like, and did you see Headhunters? That, I've seen it. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. That's not, you know, they're, they're all these, they, you know, just seem such pleasant people. And then horrible things happen. Yeah. But Speak Weather, No huh? Evil, Speak No Evil debuted at Sundance because even Sundance is doing horror movies now. Yeah. So Sundance is doing horror movies. All the other festivals need to catch up and, and uh, show up. <laughs> Or the same love. Well, well we I'm hope we can have you on again. Yeah. yeah, I hope you have a long life with this. And uh, Frankie Cambaletta of Haunted Garage, he uh, was on our show and stuff. So you guys mm -hmm. should like. We 
Yeah, we, 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 we've been corresponding. Cause I didn't even know about theirs until after mine was set. So we, we've, we've been talking um, uh, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So that's you, good. Horror fans love talking to other horror fans because <laughs> they you you would you guys probably get into minutiae about stuff that we've never even heard about. Yeah, and, and sometimes horror is just like its own ecosystem, so it's cool to have different festivals uh, talking back and forth because there's certain ones that will just pass back and forth. Because even if we do it next year, which we are planning on it, we don't have the exact dates or, or how it's going to run exactly, but we'll probably have two screens then, indoor and outdoor, plus we'll try to get Heavy Anchor involved. But even trying to program for all that space, it's impossible because there's so much horror. Horror is just like a kind of a... Uh, it's a genre that a lot of filmmakers do immediately because it's something that you can maybe get away a little bit with the acting, but you can get a lot of ideas in there too. So uh, it's good to have uh, horror festivals talking to each other and passing films back and forth. What was the first horror movie that made you appreciate the genre? Uh, the one that made me want to be a filmmaker is Evil Dead um, because there's something about Evil Dead. The that first one or the second one? Well, I like the second one better, but when because, I watch because it, it's it's the same film, Evil it, Dead and Evil Dead Two are the same film, but Two has more jokes. Yeah, Two has more jokes. Also, Two is has a technical proficiency that was a little like over my head when I was younger. Like I I, I couldn't watch Two and say I can do that, but when I watch One, I, I'm like I can do that with my friends, um, which is a little naive because when you actually try to do it, it's a lot harder. But when you're watching Evil Dead and, and it is a movie that feels like it's friends out in the middle of the woods making a movie together where this insane stuff is happening. It's good because you love it, but it also inspires you to want to do something like it too, because it doesn't seem like it's not like a Spielberg movie where it's just completely out of reach. It's something that you feel like you can do. Right. Well, have you seen this evil dead, the musical? I've now seen it twice. I, I did. I, I sat up close and had to throw this my clothes away. The splatter yeah, zone. You were in the yes, splatter zone, Carl. I was. I did, and I loved every second of it. And I was. I they. I was told to wear white, and I foolishly did. And now those clothes don't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. I've only listened to the soundtrack on Spotify. I have not uh, seen the play yet, but I need to when it comes back. It's very humorous, and the crowd really gets into it. So if you ever have an opportunity to do so. That would be good. Well, Carl just saw the fifth Halloween or the sixth or the seventh or the eighth. Which one? It's, Carl? it's the third Halloween in the fifth timeline. So, Paul, I won't bore you with what's going on, but it's not very good. It's not last night. Oh, you saw. OK, so now. All right. Let's have Paul stick around for Halloween ends. OK, so this is the fifth timeline and the technically fourth movie, because this Halloween is followed by 2018 Halloween. So you have Halloween 78, then 2018 Halloween, then you have Halloween kills, and then Halloween ends. Ugh. Okay, so Halloween and Halloween kills ruined a perfect ending of Halloween 2018 because the way that Halloween 2018 ended was a fantastic ending, and Halloween kills was just not fun and it wasn't good and they have Michael Myers trapped at the very end of the film and I'm not spoiling anything because this is I, this leads into the third film and you're not going into Halloween ends not seeing anything else because that would be dumb and you would hate the movie even more so at the end of Halloween kills 
the entire town, including Michael Anthony Hall, has Michael Myers trapped. And what happens? Michael Myers gets, I don't know, a little rejuvenation and kills like 50 people at the end. And then he kills one of Laurie Strode's family members, which I guess I can say is Judy Greer because she's not in this one. So I'm giving spoilers to Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills because you need to know that if you're going to go see Halloween Ends. Um, On Doctor Who, this will make sense. Hang on a second. When David Tennant was doing it, he was doing a whole bunch of stuff. And so they had these things called Dr. Light episodes. So they would have the doctor at the beginning of the episode and at the end of the episode. And then they would have these self-contained stories. In fact, James Corden was in one of those. And that's also how they introduced the Weeping Angels, which is a very famous Doctor Who villain. And people know who the Weeping Angels are. But that was a Dr. Light episode. They barely in it at all. That's how this feels. It is very Michael Myers light. Of all of the 8,000 Michael Myers Halloween movies, this is the least amount of Michael Myers in anything that can be still technically called a Halloween movie. It starts off with a child's death, let's say an accidental child's death. And when Michael Myers is about to kill the perpetrator of this horrible tragedy, he sees that he has killed someone, therefore makes him his apprentice or can't kill him because he sees that he has killed before. It's, it's just weird. And they, they retcon a whole bunch of things, even from the last two movies they put, first of all, Halloween two doesn't really exist except they keep showing flashbacks to it. That was the thing about Halloween kills. Laurie Strode is very barely in it because in Halloween two, Laurie Strode was barely in it because she was in the hospital the whole time. And just like Halloween kills, takes place immediately after Halloween. And then there's a time jump in Halloween ends. This is a couple years later. They have all moved on with their lives. And it seems that they've all forgotten about what Michael Myers did in 2018. And because everyone's moved on and the characters don't act the same. They, you know, Laurie Strode was a prepper and she was ready to do everything. And this time she's just like a dawdling old woman who's ready to move off to Japan. Paul, your thoughts. Have I said anything out of bounds? No, no, um, not at all. I I think my thought, this is what I felt like when I was watching it, because one thing that, that I did like about it is it wasn't pandering. And so many movies, whether it's like MCU stuff or like legacy sequels, it's always like these directors who like are almost directing scared, where they're just like, please like my movie. That was one of my problems with the new Hellraiser. It, it felt like a please like me movie. And one well, thing- It's also I, on Disney Plus slash Hulu. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but one thing I, I, I was respecting about Halloween Ends is it had the gall to go in a completely different direction when people were expecting one thing and to explore ideas. But the whole time I was watching, I was like, I respect this, but it's not working. <laughs> like, like, you, it, you respect, and and Rowan Campbell, I think he's a really good villain, but not in a Halloween movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, 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 like the arcs happened too fast. The character arcs happened too fast. The motivations didn't make sense. And I was just like, I, I was like, I was like, the concept I'm on board with, but the execution, you're not landing it well. And and that was my problem with it. And and Will Patton is there, you know, and Kyle. Kyle Richards 
is back from the first film and that that's why Jamie Lee Curtis was on the Real Housewives this week and I don't, I don't watch that but I it it made I like what they're doing to try to be finished with this. Uh, Nick Castle plays Michael Myers but also James Jude Courtney does because uh, Nick Castle is a little old to do all the stunts that James Jude Courtney gets to do but Jamie Lee Curtis says she's finished uh, Nick Castle says he's finished and John Carpenter says he's finished but we also heard that H2O when it was 20 years later and I the weird thing is Lynn you won't get this joke but I wanted to see Jamie Lee Curtis have hot dog fingers from everything everywhere all at once which did not happen well, Jamie Lee's been making the rounds of the of the talk shows. She's all Everything. she's all in. Now, I I like David Gordon Green. I liked his treatment of the reboot. I uh, the first one it. is fantastic. The 2018 Halloween is a great horror film and has a fantastic ending that is just pissed away by Halloween Kills. And then Halloween Kills was at the time of my unfortunate tumble that landed me uh at home because you know i was injured and so i couldn't see it so i asked people if i should see it before this one and you guys all seem to think no and no. then i went to tar instead which is a pretentious which, awards which everyone movie. is saying you shouldn't have seen also yes so Except now for rolling I don't... stone rolling stone says it is a movie that they were going to be talking about for decades tar yeah uh-huh. At least that's at least that's the pull quote that they're using in the ads right now. We'll, we'll so, talk. But, but we'll anyway, talk about that later. It, but, it about Tar, real quick. I haven't seen Tar, but I do love Todd Field's first two movies. So I, I'm a little. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. Uh, I, Lynn uh, says, "Don't. You're not going to be <laughs> happy." Well, Ken, it's mixed. It's a mixed critical reaction. Okay. I just happened. To, Kent and I just happened to be, uh, and Joshua Ray. We all were like what the hell because it it is two over two and a half hours long and it feels like six and i told (laughs) joshua some of it felt like it was filmed in real time Mm. we have so much minutiae it's like is there are there no editors in hollywood anymore but back to (laughs) halloween ends andy manichak it's like she wasn't in the last two movies. She doesn't remember anything that has happened. She doesn't see the signs of people that are crazy, even though everyone in her life except her grandmother has died mm-hmm. by the hands of this Michael Myers. And you think she'd be a lot more cautious and she is not. And I understand that she's supposed to be like some Gen Z 20 something who just wants to live her life and do all that stuff. But she what that's not how she was raised. She would still have the sense that something is wrong. I think they've betrayed those characters. And also you were talking about David Gordon Green. He wrote this with his good friend, Danny McBride, and there is nothing funny in this movie. You'd think that Danny McBride would throw in some jokes. It's not. The movie is not. It's the worst of the three. And I thought I hated Halloween kills. Yeah. hmm. I was a huge fan of the 1978 film, which I saw on opening night in a tiny one of the tiny Esquires when it was just like, oh, it's the upstairs ones, the upstairs one. That's where it opened because wow. nobody expected this to be anything. But I had read uh, a film comment or 
AFI back when there was hardly any. Remember when there was hardly any film publications back mm -hmm. in the day? Uh, and so I don't know how I found out about Halloween, but we tracked it down at the Esquire and we screamed bloody murder. And then. Yeah. <laughs> so Jason I, Blum's done with this. He said uh, he the revert the uh, rights revert back to uh, Malik Akkad. Uh, Akkad. Yeah, Akkad. I, I, yeah, and he said, and that was one of the things when uh, Malik gave it to Blum, he said, uh, you can't kill Michael Myers. And um, <laughs> I, I don't know how uh, that's going to happen, or we'll just get a sixth timeline because, you know, nothing nothing stays dead in Hollywood. Yeah, I, I'm just afraid that the defense of this is going to be people who, who say that uh, people who don't like it weren't didn't want a movie with no Michael Myers. Basically, people are going to defend it the same way that they defend Halloween 3, which I love. I love Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. Yeah, Season of the Witch. I mean, that movie's tattooed on me. I love Season of the Witch so much. Um, and people are going to possibly try to defend this in the same way, where they're going to say, well, people just hated it because Michael Myers wasn't in it, and, and it became like a character study. But again, I just want to reiterate, it's once I realized what they were doing, and they were going in a different direction, I readjusted to meet the movie, and it, I, and, and, and you were still disappointed. Yeah, it didn't work. Like, 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 like it just it does, doesn't work as a, a character either. The, yeah. the, the relationship between the granddaughter and the new killer is just dead on arrival. Like there's no chemistry whatsoever. Yeah, she was dating a cop, even though her boyfriend just died. I, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's. Uh, well, it's you do. Spot. You do have to suspend belief, but. Did you ever see a documentary called The Wolf Pack about those very strange children that grew up in an apartment in New York and they uh, they were very sheltered and sort of uh, very strange parents. And so they discovered movies on mm -hmm. uh, uh, classic movies and then uh, they were never allowed outside. It's just a very weird family. And then uh, it's one of the strangest documentaries I've ever seen, even more so than the the big Edie and little Edie. Gray Gardens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, uh, so anyway, one of the older kids gets out and they're big movie buffs because that's what they used to do watching television. And they reenact movies all the time. That's what they did. Uh, so uh, he dresses up like Michael Myers and is in a Manhattan grocery store. And the manager starts getting calls. <laughs> yeah. It's freaky. All right, we've spent way too much time on this movie that uh, is just middling. Yeah, mid middling is a good word. I don't think it's terrible. It's <laughs> middling. I mean, middling. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Well, Paul, we won't keep you anymore. Thank you for giving oh. your expertise on the horror film this week. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. I had a great time. Yeah, thanks. We'll have we'll have to have you on a round table when it gets to the end of the year. Cut through the clutter. I would love that. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Have a good weekend. All right, thanks, you Paul. too. All right, have a good day. Bye. Bye. So Lynn, you also saw some uh other films that were not necessarily horror films. No, I did. I uh, I thought this was going to be on Disney Plus, but turns out it's on Hulu. And I was surprised at how fun it was. It is a romantic comedy called Rosalind. And it 
is a twist on Romeo and Juliet. What? It, yes, it is Caitlin Devers, the always reliable. Uh, love me some Caitlin Devers. Yes, the always reliable actress who's in a ton of things. Emmy nominated for Dope Sick. She plays Romeo's ex-girlfriend, whose cousin. She's, she's, she's the niece of Lord Capulet. Yes, and whose cousin. And she's not even in the play. She's an unseen character. They just talk about her. Yeah, they talk about her. There's about 10 lines. And uh, so they've decided that uh, they're going to uh, make her into a smunny, a smart, funny, a smunny. Smunny. Oh, use that. Use that. That's a new word. And scheming young lady because she wants to win Romeo back. When she finds out her cousin Juliet is now his hot, you know, hookup, mm -hmm. she's quite upset. But her father, Bradley Whitford, uh, wants to get her married and out of the house because back then that's what they did. They all got married. Oh, yeah, because she's, you know, probably 14 and they need to get her out, you know. And so uh, he hooks her up with a guy that she is uh she hangs out with but she's still pining for romeo and mm -hmm. romeo is played by kyle allen who we liked so much in the, that map of tiny perfect things yes yes and isabella merced plays juliet and i liked her in dora uh the she was the voice of dora but she was also in dora in the Lost city of gold which i thought she was really good at yeah, that. and she's been in some good things. And Kyle is quite versatile. He plays Romeo. He looks exactly like Heath Ledger in 10 Things I Hate About You. Which is a Shakespeare uh, modern-day adaptation. Right. So this has that kind of vibe to it. It's got modern language, and it's got teen issues and uh, the adults. So it's not tragedy. A mini driver plays the nurse. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kyle, uh, Christopher, Christopher McDonald is in it. He plays uh, Lord Capulet. So yeah. all these people that don't get uh, don't get mentioned in Romeo and Juliet are in this movie and characters from Romeo and Juliet as well. Yes. And so uh, it's it they flip it. And this is not your mother's room, uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet. And I enjoyed it. The the script is by. The guys who are young adult romance oh my gosh, they, it's, specialists. It's, Scott uh, Newsteller and Michael Weber, they did 500 Days of Summer. Yes, and they also did The Spectacular Now and The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns. But yes. the 500 Days but of 500 Summer is one of our favorite movies. The, yes, I love that film. Me too. And uh, we, you and I, they also wrote that they also are. Oh, go ahead. They're they're also uh, Oscar nominated for writing Disaster Artist, which was one of my favorite films that year. It was. So uh, I like these guys. Yeah. And... So, so it's very clever. It, this is the kind of movie that when your daughter was living at home, you you would have watched and enjoyed. Good. I, I might watch it again. And this is well, I haven't I haven't seen it. <laughs> So maybe I maybe I'll watch it tonight on Hulu. You know, it's just one of those very pleasant films that, you know, it's not going to win any awards, but it's just a pleasant diversion and it's funny. And they use uh, they use com common language, but it's not in a 
in a weird way how they do that sometimes when they have period pieces it's just as believable the way they talk and uh the so they're not talking in iamic pentameter sometimes they do oh but they're not married to it yeah, no, the guy, uh, the woman who directed it, Karen Maine, she did that movie I like so much. Yes, God, yes, about the kids in the Catholic school. Yes, with the with the girl from uh, Stranger Things. Right. So it's it's got a little jauntiness to it because these people know how to do comedy, and the courier named Steve is played by that skateboard kid that was in Moxie. Oh, okay. So you reckon, yeah, so it's got a really good cast. Like a Gen Z, I know who you are. Yeah, so it's fun. And the music is good. It's by two, it's by a couple, Holquist, and they're known as Drum and Lace. So they have modern tunes in it, but then they also have the Renaissance type music. Strings. Oh, so it's funny. And watch the credits because... um, Romeo and Juliet, as you know, in the Shakespeare play, they didn't really know each other too well. No. So they're trying to get to know each other. Like, what do they like? Like, do they like sports? Do they like dogs? Do they like pizza? It's pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) So I won't. But I was just pleasantly surprised because I just didn't know what to expect. And I thought, well, this is sure fun. So did you watch Stars at Noon? I have not watched it yet. Okay. I, I was watching uh, what I spent my time on last night was the documentary series on Barney, the purple dinosaur. Oh, yeah. I love you. You hate me. Yes, because my son, Charlie, was a huge Barney fan. Mm-hmm. And then we started watching the videos with him and my oldest son, Tim, and I started thinking those kids were just really lame. So we started laughing and Charlie started pouting that we were mocking his Barney videos. Yeah. And so uh, he had a Barney lunchbox and a Barney T-shirt. Barney was Barney got hate, uh, I think, not necessarily earned. No, and that's what the whole thing is. The whole thing was about how he was supposed to be kind and the kids, it was all about kindness and inclusion. And then it turned into this backlash that got violent and it it helped ruin lives. And the woman who created it, her she and her husband got divorced and her son that she created this for Patrick He has a long sordid past that you got to maybe think that because they were so mocked. And then what's nice about this is they have the guy who did the voice of Barney. Mm -hmm. They have the actor who portrayed him in the suit. They have the kids, some of the kids grown up. Now, now, hold on a second. Do they have Selena Gomez or Demi Lovato or Debbie Ryer, Madison Pettis? Or Danielle Vega? Do they have any of these famous people that no, were in it? No. no. They just have kids that... I mean, they had 100 kids there. Yeah. The, well, I, just, I just mentioned all the famous ones. Yeah, Allen, Texas. And uh, then it was about... Um, and then it was it's some of the creator's friends. And uh, it is also... Um, one of the producers and... If you know Bert Dubrow, he was the producer of the Sally Jesse Raphael show when it was here. 
I'm too young he, for that. I know who. Up. I know it. What that was, but I never. Yeah. Well, he was a producer, Jerry Springer. Oh and, wow! So so it's it's going to be a wonderful, loving documentary. And it talks about that, and then it's like president. Uh, it's like people who were in part of the hate club. You know, mm -hmm. like they had these Barney groups and they were like setting Barney on fire and people were getting uh, horrible calls and they were just uh, just really bad behavior, just really sad, terrible, bad things that people should be ashamed of themselves for doing. The the Blues Clues guy, Steve. Yeah. Is in it defending Barney and how awful it was for people to because children have a very specific relationship with their childhood characters. Uh, you know, the Sesame street gang, the mm -hmm. whatever you attach to. And because kids attached to Barney and he was such a phenomenon. And then for them to be mocked for liking him, that messed people up. Yeah. Well, that it's on Peacock, just like, yeah, if you don't want to go out and see Halloween ends, you can watch that on Peacock also. And we talked about Rosalind's on on Hulu. Uh, but let's let's pivot, Lynn, and talk about what's the Fox right now, which is Hadestown, which I had never seen. before. And I think you might need to brush up on your mythology before you go. Yeah, I was told that you didn't have to. No, you need to. But I think you need to. If not, you'll be lost and you will hate the ending. <laughs> you'll hate the ending if you don't know what's going on in mythology. Because the Greeks are, are you know, they have the two masks of the comedy and tragedy. And it is tragedy until it's comedy. And then it just turns into something else. Uh, but the music is fantastic. The music's haunting and beautiful, and it's very well staged. It's so hypnotic. The voices are incredible. And I was very taken by the staging of it. And, and that I will admit that I didn't know much what was going on. I just <laughs> went with it. And figured, okay, but it's definitely an experience. Yes. And I hear, I was talking to someone who saw it on Broadway, and she said she did not know how they would do it on tour because like in Mary Poppins, where they have the three-story house that kept moving up and down, when they go to hell, they actually descend into the stage, and the stage, oh, the, the stage is like part of the experience. But she said that on tour, it is well done as well. Aha. Well, somebody that I know that saw it too didn't uh, like your friend didn't think how is it going to translate on tour, but they thought they did a really good job with it. Good. Well, yeah, the same person who lit the Karate Kid at stages did the lighting and won a Tony for Hades Town. Ah, well, it won what? 15 Tonys? Well, it, it was, was nominated. It was, it was nominated for fourteen. It won eight. So, right, including best musical, and best featured actor Andre De Shields, who we saw last year in Shakespeare King, King Lear. Yeah, and uh, Nathan Lee Graham, who uh, graduated from Hazelwood Central and Webster Conservatory. 
He mm-hmm. is playing Hermes. This is his second stop on the tour. He was just added. Now, Hades is the villain. And he is played like a megalomaniac business guy. Yeah. And that guy's voice was, I loved it. The baritone, mm-hmm. Matthew Very, Patrick yeah. Quinn. You think it's baritone? I think it's, I think it's a bass. Bass. It's a bass. Yeah. Because yeah. he's... Yeah, he's he's really good in this. And right. then or- Orpheus is your hero, and Eurydice's. Am I saying that right? I'm not. Yeah, kidding. Eurydice. Yeah, she. If you don't know their story, uh, you might look them up first, <laughs> because it doesn't matter about Hermes or Hades or Persephone or the Fates. You need to know about Orpheus and his bride. Right. Well, it's a hero's journey. So just keep that in mind. It's a hero's journey. It is such a yin and yang. It's like good, evil, traditional, innovative. Uh, There's all those different things, you know, sweet, sour. It's very interesting, the contrast. It looks like it's set in the French Quarter. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's at a train station. Right. And it's uh, the fates are like singers you'd see in New Orleans. Uh huh. Yeah. And and the, oh, is, the band, the band, all oh, the man. band is there's a seven. It's actually a seven piece. Six of them are on stage. The drums, which would overpower everyone, are behind stage, even though the drummer comes out for the very last number. But also the fates play instruments as well. So it sometimes swells to a 10 piece all on stage. So it's it is very well produced. If you if you are um, if you appreciate that kind of stuff, I I did, except my wife said, are you going to keep bitching about the drummer? I'm like the drum. I can't see the drummer. Where is the drummer? The drummer's backstage. They even allude to it at the beginning of act two that the drummer is backstage, everybody. So if you're obsessive compulsive about stupid stuff like I am the drummer is backstage because if he was on stage, you wouldn't be able to hear anything but the drums. And I understand that, but I do appreciate the fact that they bring him out for the final number, but the music is really well done. It's it's, and the trombone player is fantastic. They highlight her too. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, there's 31 songs. So it's, it has a little touch of Les Mis to it. Mm-hmm. And Se- the second act is, um, I mean, the first act is long. The second act seems longer than it is. That's because that, that's just the way that the story goes, because right. you feel you think, oh, my gosh, how is this going to end? And then it doesn't. Yeah, the first act is really strong. And the second act has to tie up all of the loose ends. Yeah, I don't remember much about Greek mythology from English class because I think you're taught that freshman year in high school. Mm -hmm. And so it's a refresher, but it it doesn't feel like you're in English class because it's so imaginative and innovative. And and uh, it has a theme of, uh, well, power and politics. Mm -hmm. And then it throws in the climate change things. Yeah. So there's a couple nods to things going on today. Well, but, it's, at, it's at the Fox, but and also uh, it gets political a little bit, even though it was it was, you know, done in the turn of the century. It was there in uh, it was 
the late half of the 2000s when this was written. So don't think it it is a commentary on uh, the last five years or so. Yeah, this Aeneas Mitchell, I had never heard of her. And mm-hmm. apparently uh, she had this cooking, uh, you know, for several years. And it initially was a concept album. Yeah, just like Jesus Christ Superstar. So definitely. But I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. No, it's 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 a it's an experience that you need to see. And it's at the Fox right now. Right. And a couple other more traditional things that I'd like to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stray Dog. Uh, we had Gary F. Bell here, uh, the yes. artistic director, and he was right about his little night music being amusing and bringing out the farce. This is not stuffy, stodgy. It's got beautiful voices. It's really well done on their small stage. I was very impressed with it. And it is at Stray Dog, from which is the Tower Grove Abbey, on Thursdays through Sundays. This Sunday, they have a matinee at two. So, pretty cool that... Um, well, and, you know, uh, wait, yeah, wait, you know what? They're going to have... Um, yeah, Sunday's matinee, and then next Wednesday they have a show besides Thursday through Saturday. And St. Louis Woman still going on? Yes, Joe Hanrahan was here, and Leica does a, a really good Tina Turner, and Josephine Baker, she wears the banana, she does the banana dance. She comes out with mm-hmm. the thing, and so you learn about these women of St. Louis, and Michael Musgrave Perkins did just terrific job with the videos and the archival footage and the clips to to immerse you into St. Louis at the time these women were here and made their mark. It's not a flashy show. It's a one-woman show. We have percussionist and a keyboard player. Mm, piano. And it's at the Dodzak. So that's going on Thursday through Sunday uh, this weekend and next weekend, and and what? also uh, you private lives. Yeah, but um, I don't think it's aged well. I have issues with. Uh, I know it's sparkling wit or biting wit or whatever from 1930, uh, but it's it is about white privilege rich people bickering the whole time beating Mm. up on each other i don't find that amusing no matter how rich or elegant or are uh erudite they are Mm -hmm. okay i'm just saying all right there's better ways to spend three hours of your time (laughs) all right so lynn before we wrap it up today what is your favorite angela lansbury performance Oh, man. I love her in Gaslight. I love her in The Manchurian Candidate playing both of those kind of evil. And she was like, she was the last living Academy Award nominee because she was in 1944's Gaslight. And she was 96 years old. Uh, She also, you know, her Disney phase where she did uh, Beauty and the Beast, Don't Forget Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And also she was in uh, she was in Mary Poppins Returns a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And then her, her final film is going to be uh, Glass Onion, The New Knives Out. She's in that. So that will be her final film. But, you know, she never won an Emmy 
all 12 years, nominated all 12 years for Best Actress Emmy, never won for Murder, She Wrote. So she did a lot. She did. I uh, am most familiar with her stage work, although I did see her at the Muni. Sweeney Todd. I saw her Sweeney Todd. Oh, you did? Well, no, I... It was I was a junior or senior in high school and we got a video performance of it. But she it that made me love that musical because of her. Mrs. Lovett. Mm-hmm. Uh, she um, maimed the original Mame. her and B. Arthur mm-hmm. bosom buddies. It's pretty good. And uh, she didn't get these movie roles, you know, which is sad because she's so good. But she held the record for uh, the most Tonys of by a woman. Musical, you know, woman, and until Audra McDonald broke it a couple of years ago, but she had the big five. But I do think she is so creepy as the mother in Manchurian Candidate, Just, even though she was only three years older than the person playing her son. I know Lawrence Harvey. But mm-hmm. so creepy. But you just got to love Mrs. Potts. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's what she's going to be, uh, I think, familiarized with. But what, uh, what, uh, just fabulous, what a lovable person. Yeah, ninety-six. Except, except the the joke is, if Jessica Fletcher comes to your town, someone's going to die. <laughs> My mom loved that show. I just think everybody's mom loved that. Show. If you're watching the Hallmark Channel and the movies are over. One of three things comes on one golden girls two murder. She wrote or three Frasier. And some of those you have fallen asleep for a while. So uh, those are always on when I'm coming to work because I get up early to do the morning show. And then therefore my wife has fallen asleep with Hallmark channel on. And those are, it's either golden girls, murder. She wrote or Frasier. That's so funny. I have I still have to see uh, stars at noon, but I did see the good nurse on on uh, Monday night, which is uh, going to be at Plaza Frontenac starting Wednesday, October 19th. And then it drops on Netflix, October 26th. Kent and I sat together and we did my colleague at the Webster Kirkwood Times, Kent Tenchert. We were not aware of this true crime case. So I was fascinated by this. It takes place in New Jersey in 2003. And Jessica Chastain plays this nurse who's really stretched to the limit on the night shift in the ICU. And they hire her help, which is Eddie Redmayne as this male nurse, Charles Cullen. And he's like the epitome of a empathetic, uh, nurse and great friend he's always helping her because she's a single mom and uh, she has a heart condition and they form this tight bond well all of a sudden people start dying of mysterious uh, mysterious ways in the hospital and there is an investigation into one of the deaths which uh the police are trying to interview uh, Jessica Chastain and, and the administration is blocking a lot of this access and a lot of the information because, you know, Carl, we live in a litigious society now and healthcare is one of the 
the big thing. So, well, well, let's just say Eddie Redmayne's character has his own Wikipedia page. So, yes. Yeah. And uh, so I was glad to see it unfold as I didn't know what was happening. But if you look up Charles Cullen, you'll know. And maybe you know about this, but yes. it's it's based, it's based on a book. It's based on a book. And then if you don't want to be creeped out in a theater, you can watch it at the end of the month on Netflix. Ah, well, the uh, one thing that I liked about it was it's not so much a who done it, but it's a how done it. Oh, yeah. Because people are familiar with this, but it the the two police officers are Noah Emmerich and the the guy he's Carrie Washington's husband, and he's excellent. He's a former football player. Oh, uh, Namdi Asamuga. Yes. And he's he's very good. So but Kim Dickens plays the risk manager and it just shows how lawyers and insurance companies have really changed the way hospitals do things. I'll yes. Put it like that. Leave it like that. Lynn, where can we find you on socials and radio? I am on KTRS every Thursday night, and I was just on KTRS this morning with Wendy Weiss and Alvin Reed, guest host, talking uh -huh. about fall movies. And I was on there Wednesday talking about uh, Town. And I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times and every Friday. And uh, what else? The podcast and the website poplifestl.com. Chaz Adams, my colleague, did a really good review of Hades Town. Did Chaz like it? He did. He good. has got some good, he's got some good descriptions because I find it hard to describe it, but he he pretty much nailed it. Well, you can find me on 97.1 FM talk on the Mark Cox morning show. And then I'm also on Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors on the weekends on both 97.1 and KMOX. And you can also follow me on Twitter at underscore Carl the Intern on Instagram as well. I will be doing a horn test for the first home regular season game tomorrow. So, Oh, good for you. I was going to say that you've got a, the home game. That'll be fun. It better be. And We're playing the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yes. Ah, and because uh, I was going to ask you if you were going to Yacht Rock, but apparently not. Nope, I'll be I will be there. The Who is tonight. Uh, if you're hearing this, the Who is probably ended. So or you're already there. Max is going to be there. The Who. It's half of the Who because the you know the the other ones the, have died. John well, yes, John Entwistle died. I saw John Entwistle solo at the High Point before he passed, and I also saw I also saw him at Bush stadium in 1989. So was it 89 or 87? I, I don't remember, but I did see it was 89. John Ent I saw them at Bush stadium. That was the same summer that uh, the Rolling Stones were at Bush stadium. I had once I had ninth row seats. The other one, I had 16th row seats and I can't remember which one was which, but I was close for both of those shows. Wow. Uh, Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend. will be there tonight, but not Keith moon nor John Entwistle. Because they have passed on to Hades Town. All right. So, Lynn, have a great weekend. We will talk next week. You too. And if you're looking for a duo uh, costume contest, I was judging one in O'Fallon, Illinois last week, the Witches and Wizards Festival, and a couple dressed up as the twins from The Shining. Yeah, you put that online. And creeped everybody out. So, that's a good one. No, it's not. <laughs>
Have a good week, everyone. You too. You take care. Bye. Bye, Carl. Everybody have fun.